Hello friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is, as you know, to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're here for the very first time, then may I suggest that you hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you a single penny, but you'll be able to make sure that you don't miss another episode and you will join this community of people, those of us who have together made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. So you are most welcome to be here this morning. And can I ask also that you stick around at the end and I'll tell you lots of ways in which you can connect and receive additional free teaching and Bible study resources. But with that said, we'll pick up where we left off last time when we're dealing and talking about this issue of doubt and what we can learn from it and what it teaches us in Matthew chapter 11. I'll see you at the end. Okay, folks, here we are. We're picking up again in Matthew chapter 11, and today we're going to be covering verses 7 to 15. And we've heard this conversation between two disciples of John the Baptist and Jesus about the doubts that he has and how Jesus answers them. And today I'm just going to step back a little bit and ask the question, what type of a person has doubts? So let me just begin by reminding you of where we stepped off last time. We discovered that John the Baptist has been thrown in prison and he has sent messengers to Jesus asking the very question, are you the Messiah or should we keep looking out for him? So it appears that even John the Baptist, whilst languishing in prison, was struggling with some doubts. Now Jesus' response to that is to send the two disciples back and say to listen, because they've of course been exposed to Jesus' teaching, to listen to what Jesus taught and pass that on back to him and to look at the miracles he had done and to consider how these events line up with the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. The ones about the blind see, the lame shall walk, the deaf hear, etc. Even the dead are raised. Then he can truly decide if he is the Messiah. So we're going to pick up the text in verse 7 where it says, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are found in kings' houses. But what did you see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. So if you look at this passage, three times he says something like, why did you go out? What did you go into the wilderness to see? He says it here, and he says it again, preaches it in verse 8, and then he says it again in verse 9. So three times he asks the question, well, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What did you expect to see? Now, there are plenty of reeds in the wilderness, and there was plenty of wind out there. So Jesus is using these expressions as a figure of speech, so to speak. He's saying, did you go out to see a man who was weak, someone who was blown by every wind or breeze, someone who was fickle and feeble? Remember, John the Baptist was a guy who came thundering in with the message about repenting because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He was a strong proclaimer of the message of God. Furthermore, he was certainly not a man dressed in soft, expensive garments. 
If you recall way back in chapter 3 when we were introduced to John, it talked about him being dressed in camel hair with a belt made of leather. Not only rough clothing, but also the clothing in themselves were a sign of someone who had a prophetic ministry. So Jesus is saying, John didn't go out into the wilderness like some soft-hearted individual in their finest soft clothing, trying to impress people or even trying to impress the king by telling him what he wanted to hear. He wasn't someone who was trying to flatter anybody into the kingdom. So is that what you expected to see? Was he someone who said all sorts of nice things about me because he was trying to flatter me? Is that why you went out there? Is that what you expected to find out there? Was he a prophet or was he just a weak branch, a reed blowing in the wind? And Jesus says, no, he was a prophet. In fact, he was more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it was written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist, he was a prophet. Yes, but he was greater than the ordinary prophets. He was the actual prophet talked about in Malachi chapter 3. The one that they said would come to prepare the people and prepare the way of the Lord. So Jesus is saying to the people that this John the Baptist was no ordinary prophet. John is and was the forerunner of the Messiah. So he's not someone who's weak or feeble. He's not someone who used flattery. He was the forerunner. In fact, Jesus then adds in verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, the point of these verses is to say that John the Baptist's position is that of an exalted prophet, and he was in fact the forerunner. And of course, if people much less than him would gain entrance to the kingdom of God, how much more then should he? So although John the Baptist is now sitting over in a prison somewhere, the point is that we should not miss is that Jesus is saying to the people that John still holds the position of the greatest prophet ever born of woman, the greatest prophet ever known to mankind up to that point. Now yesterday and today I divided this passage into two parts and in that first section yesterday we talked about the question that John asked via his followers, questions that reflected his doubts considering the place he found himself in, i.e. jail. But here now we have Jesus himself saying, look this guy is one of the greatest men, one of the most important prophets in the history of Israel. But now we put these two things together which is exactly what Matthew, I believed in writing this account, intends for us to do. And to say, look, even this great man, a great messenger and a prophet, someone who is assured a place in the kingdom of heaven, ahead of anybody else in a sense, even he had doubts, mainly because of his circumstances. And his doubts that he expressed regarded the messiahship of Jesus, the very core of his faith. But these doubts were not the doubts of an unbeliever. They were the doubts arriving from someone who had a close relationship with God, heard from God, a prophet of God, in fact, someone that we would say describe as the most mature servant of Jesus Christ. So what I think we can learn from this, and what I'd like to suggest, is that even the most mature seasoned Christians can sometimes have doubts. Even those who have served the Lord for a long time, these sorts of doubts can happen on occasion can come to them also. 
Perhaps other classic illustrations of this is none other than the disciple named Thomas. His very name has come to be associated with doubt. But think about who Thomas was. He was actually one of those 12 disciples. He was one of those who walked with Jesus for over three years. Yet, when Jesus was crucified and came back from the dead and appeared to some of the apostles, Thomas wasn't there amongst them to witness that. And when they went to him and told him about it later, he said, I won't believe it until I myself see the nail marks in his hand and the spear wound in his side. Now later on the Gospels do tell us that Jesus appears to him and he says, all right, here are the nail marks in my hand, Thomas. Touch them and here's the wound in my side. And Thomas did touch them, did do that, and then it tells us that he bowed down and said, my Lord and my God. So there's another one who was a great doubter, and he is still the one who ends up making that great declaration, Jesus is Lord. I'm simply saying this to to illustrate to you that John the Baptist doubted, Thomas doubted, and I think actually I could throw Peter in there as well. I just remember when Jesus said he was going to die and be raised from the dead, Peter was the one who said no, rejecting, out of fear, no doubt, the very essence of the good news of Jesus in regard to his death and resurrection. So great men and women of God in the Bible narrative and throughout history have had doubts at times. In his famous book, Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones The famous English doctor and pastor, he actually qualified as a medical doctor before becoming a pastor and a preacher, one of the greatest preachers of the last century. He said this in his book, Spiritual Depression, Doubts are not incompatible with faith. Some people seem to think that once you become a Christian, that you should never be assailed by doubts, but that is not so. So that tells me that doubts can attack any of us at any time, but that does not mean that we should allow those doubts to master us. It's interesting to me what Jesus says in the next verse. We'll just pick it up in verse 12 and he says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now, you may pause for a minute and say, what in the world does that mean? It's a notoriously difficult verse. But in the final analysis, experts believe it's actually saying something quite simple. It's saying, look, saying, look, look, since even John the Baptist first appeared on the scene, the message of the kingdom of God has always been violently opposed and it always will be so thereafter. So don't let persecution or the circumstances you find yourself in because of that resistance allow doubts to enter in. It seems to be the fundamental nature of how the world responds to the gospel being preached is an attempt to oppose it, sometimes even violently oppose it. And not just people who preach the gospel, but even people who try to live their lives in a way that by nature spreads the kingdom of God on earth. But let's look at verse 13, for it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who has come. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I told you that this is what it was going to be like. And just as he is a forerunner, anyone, if they're willing to receive the message and receive the prophecies concerning the Messiah 
and concede that they apply to Jesus, then we can identify with all the great people throughout history. John the Baptist himself was described as one who came in the spirit of Elijah, the forerunner before the forerunner, if you like. But as the forerunner of the Messiah himself, not only is that going to be reflected in John the Baptist coming to make straight the ways for Jesus' coming, but also there will be a forerunner come again during the second coming. But that's something we'll unpack much later on when we get up to uh, around about Matthew 24. What I want to do at this point is now just pause and try and summarise and just for a moment grapple with what is the essence of this rather difficult technical passage. It started out with a question from John via his two followers and Jesus answered that question by saying, let me first tell you about the one who's asking the question. He then talks to them about John's position and he talks to them about John's significance in the history and God's plan for humanity. Now that would have not only of course been a great witness to those disciples of John but when he heard it relayed back to him in prison should of course have been an amazing encouragement. But the answer gives to that question is to say the one who is asking it yes he is very very important but it's not as important as the question itself that he is asking. So I would like to sum up all this by saying when no less than the greatest prophet who ever lived asked the question are you the messiah or should we be looking for someone else Jesus said to him that I am the messiah and you will know that in that I fulfilled the prophecies of the old testament and that's the plumb line to use and I believe the same principle still applies to us today if we have doubts we should approach it in the same way and from that I would like to make a couple of suggestions You see, we all may at times have doubts. You all may already have some already. You may have some now, and it's very likely if you don't that you will at some point have some in the future. However, when that happens, you can do one of two things. You can either feed your doubts or you can doubt your doubts. You can listen to them and pay attention to them. And it could be just by paying attention to what people are saying. And the more you listen to those sort of critical people and the more you focus on them, the more likely you are to be drawn to that critical point of view. But if you really want to answer those doubts rather than just dwell on them, then Jesus tells John and by nature is telling us today, simply go to the scriptures and seek answers. The main way I feel that people fall down in dealing with their doubts, I would say, is to focus on the doubt without exploring the scriptures to find answers. When dealing with an intellectual doubt, I believe if you go direct and direct your attention to the Bible, then all the answers will be found there and the doubts will begin to evaporate. I believe there's no question that anything, question that is important in life, I believe that the answer is found within the scriptures and when dealing with personal doubts and I as a role of a pastor have found myself over the years dealing with scores perhaps hundreds of people who have doubted many things even many many people who've doubted their very salvation and it is in my estimation always because when those doubts come they look at themselves however when those people reach outside of themselves and look to God and his word they do indeed get and find assurance and the doubts begin to dissipate. 
when they look at the scripture and see what it says and the truths of the passage that are taught what in my experience most people find and certainly i find in my life that it answers virtually all the important questions that get asked in life so may i repeat myself the answer to doubt lies in seeing what god says about the issues and that means we don't have to fear doubt when questions and doubts come into our mind press into them and find those answers by studying the word of god because not only then will it enable us to have the answers answered in our own hearts but it will enable us to maybe maybe develop what's called an apologetic an answer where other people come with similar questions to us You know, the Hebrew scriptures were written hundreds of years before Christ even came. And there's simply no question that the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures of the Old Testament, are teaching that there is a Messiah coming. There are many, many prophecies, and any serious person would confirm that that is the big theme of the Old Testament. It concerns itself with the coming of the Messiah. And my point is that if you want to eliminate doubt and even the biggest doubts in a way that is objective and not subjective, that's rational, not emotional, then look at the scriptures and see how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of the Messiah as recorded in the scriptures and then everything else can fall into place for you. By the way, there's nothing like this in existence anywhere else on this planet. There's no philosophy. I don't believe there's any other religion. Nothing can even come close to personally claiming and understanding the truth that hundreds of years before the Messiah came, we were told that he would come and that the New Testament teaches that he not only came, that when he was born, that he came so that he would die and he would die for us and not himself. So if you've ever doubted at any level the core tenet of the Christian faith, read Isaiah 53, visit Micah chapter 5, spend some time studying Daniel, particularly chapter 9, saturate your mind with the scriptures and those doubts I believe will actually disappear. Not because they aren't answered, but because they are answered and explained. One last point by way of illustration I'd like to make. One of the greatest expositors of the Bible and one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century was a guy named G. Campbell Morgan. He was born at the tail end of the 19th century and he had a famous preaching ministry for over 60 years. He grew up in a Christian home. He in fact preached his first sermon at 13. And by the age of 19, this man already had a very successful preaching and teaching ministry. But at 19, he went to university And he said, and I'll quote him, the whole intellectual world that confronted me was under the control of the physical sciences and the materialistic and rational philosophy of people like Darwin, Huxley and Spence. And there came a moment when I was not sure of anything anymore. As he listened to these debates at university, things for him became more and more complex. This man had grown up in a Christian home, had already a successful preaching ministry, and now, in college, at university, he was beginning to doubt the truthfulness of the Christian faith. His response was this. He cancelled all of his speaking engagements. He put all of his university and theological books in a cupboard, and he locked the door, and he bought himself a brand new Bible. And he said to himself, and I'm quoting him here, I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. 
But of this I am sure, if it is the word of God, and I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul. You see, for months he just sat down and he read the scriptures. And he said the result of his time alone with the word led him to emerge from that experience saying, well, I'll quote him, the Bible found me. And even though he was well known as a young man, he went on to become probably the greatest expositor of scriptures during the period covering the two world wars. He actually became pastor of the very famous Westminster Chapel in London. He was the main pastor and preacher there from 1904 to 1919. He paused for 14 years to teach for a while at Biola University in Los Angeles before returning to Westminster Chapel from 33 to 43. He had an amazing worldwide affecting pulpit ministry there. And when he retired, he handed over the pastorate to his renowned protege, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I mentioned earlier, who also is considered by many to probably rival, if not the greatest preacher of the 20th century, who in turn was succeeded by another great man of God, R.T. Kendall. Now, I mention all these great men for one reason and one reason only, in that they all stated have stated that at time they have had doubts. But when they directed the posture of their lives and their hearts and their study towards the scriptures and the Bible, the doubts vanished. And the answers, no more than that, the solutions to all the questions of everything in life that troubled them was found therein. So friends, my recommendation is to you today, if you have doubts, or even just if you have problems, to try and find solutions, any solutions, that's the way that you should lean also. Lean towards the Bible. Lean towards the Word of God. And by doing that together in the Bible Project, I believe that any of those doubts that come along in life, you will find the answers therein. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope you'll stick with us, particularly if you're here for the first time and you'll make the decision to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from so that you'll get an update every day. Well, Monday to Friday, five days a week, working together at the moment through the Gospel of Matthew, but Lord willing, over the next, probably, we believe the whole project's going to be 10 years we'll work through the whole Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're not seeing episode notes page or active links to other parts of the ministry, I'm aware that some podcast providers don't allow those links to click through. You can visit where the podcast is hosted, which is thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com, where you'll find the host of all the episodes so far, and you'll certainly find active links there where you can click through to Facebook page, the YouTube channel, even places like my Patreon page and my personal LinkedIn page. Those are the places where I tend to put more structured sort of discipleship course-like material. But it's all free, all freely available, all freely in the public domain for you to use whatever way you want. 
So having said all that, we're closing off this little section today and I do hope you'll join me back here tomorrow as we continue to work through Matthew and picking up where we've left off in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 11. So thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you again tomorrow. Bye for now.